I'm going to change this morning the preaching text, which I used to do all the time, but I've gotten away from doing that. But I think this text is better suited for today's message. Listen. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, I've done all of those things since I was a boy. And Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. And the man's face fell. He was sad because he had great wealth. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. And the disciples were amazed at his words. And Jesus spoke again. Children, how hard it is for us to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich. And the disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then, who then can inherit eternal life? And Jesus looked at them and said, with us, it is impossible. With God, All things are possible. And Peter spoke up. We we have left everything to follow you. And then Jesus replied, no one who has left home, brothers, sisters, mothers, fathers, children are fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times more. In the present age. 
May God bless the reading and the hearing of those words. So, this text is dramatic in every conceivable way. I want to hit on just a few of those notes. First and foremost, the audience for these words, probably not unlike us, would have assumed that God is more likely to favor those who are successful. In the ancient world, and honestly, in our world, no one would have assumed that God favors the poor. It would have also been assumed that the poor are more likely to be unhappy. No one would have aspired to let go of their wealth in pursuit of less wealth. That would have been deemed insane. Financial insecurity would translate into less happiness, less joy, more stress, more frustration. So at all costs, stay the course of pursuing more financial security, accumulating more, never less. Don't reconsider, nobody wants to go backwards. I remember feeling that way when I had to give up my golf club membership to pay for my children's education. But here's the thing, already we are on very shaky ground with our assumptions. Because accumulation of stuff has never ever led to happiness. It's never ever led to greater or lasting joy. I think about the dozens and dozens of groups that I've been privileged to take to the Kibera slum in Kenya. Some of the reactions are, are quite predictable. Immediately upon arriving in a slum, people are flabbergasted and they're troubled. How could people live like this? This is terrible. This is unacceptable. At the very least, people need to have their basic needs met. And I appreciate this reaction. It speaks to our shared humanity. It, it reflects the simple truth that we care. But the second reaction, which almost always takes place within the first couple of days, is a kind of confusion that these people are seemingly so happy. How could people in the midst of such deprivation 
be so relatively happy? How could they be smiling? How could they be so quick to laugh? How could they be so polite? How could they be so pleasant? How could they be so grateful? How could they be so appreciative? And then a funny thing happens. Often our trip participants will will try to explain it away. I love when they do that. Well, they don't know any better. I mean, if you don't have a wider frame of reference, if you don't have anything to compare it to, well, you'd certainly be more happy in your relative naivete. This is what life is, so gosh, you need to be okay with what life is. But the explanations actually come up short. Because like it or not, these people with so much less are accessing the joy of living at least as much, if not more, than we are. Which means an encounter like this raises real questions. Why is it? Why is it that those of us who have everything we need and then a long, long list of everything we think we want struggle? Struggle to find joy. Why are we stuck? Why have the most simple pleasures of life stopped filling our cup? For me, this alone conjures up all of these amazing images. I think about last summer on one of our trips. We took a few duffel bags full of tennis balls. And before we get too excited, I just want to tell you, these were used tennis balls. One day, two or th- on day two or three, we brought all of these used tennis balls to one of our schools, gave every kid a used tennis ball, and it was like we had handed out a thousand hundred dollar bills. It was amazing. kids were delighted. The kids were elated. The look in their eyes was pure joy. And we saw them walking around then for days with their used tennis ball, tossing it about, hitting their friends in the head. Here's the quirky thing. Their joy gave me joy. And their joy made me envious. I want more of what the poorest kids in the world have. 
when I wake up every day and drink coffee. So let's just let's just go back to the the text for a second. Because the text forces us to reflect on the the comfortable man's spiritual life. He's apparently a, a reasonably good man. In the same way, we're reasonably good people. Even though Jesus says nobody's good. The story actually indicates that he's a pretty good person in the same way we are pretty good people. He's followed the Ten Commandments, or or at least most of them. He actually tells Jesus that he's been a pretty good person since he was a boy. But he's making a confession here. And you know what he's saying? He's saying something's missing. Something's missing. My heart, my heart is not full. And then he asks the big question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Inherit, right? That's an interesting word. Interesting verb, because inherit is actually not something you can ever earn. Inherit suggests that it's not something you can possess. An inheritance is a gift to be received. And we come here every Sunday to be reminded that the deepest and truest thing is a gift to be received. Not a possession based on hard work or good deeds. And there he is, one man, might have been one woman, saying, what posture, what posture do I need to take to receive more of what God has in store for me? Because too often something's missing. I think one other real quick note when we read this text and look at it is to understand the actual meaning of eternal life. Because in the Greek and the Jewish and the Christian world, eternal life is not about afterlife. The rich man is not saying, what must I have to do to enter heaven? That's not what this text is asking. He's saying, what do I have to do now? What do I have to do today? What do I need to do to feel closer to God, to draw towards God? What would I need to do to feel freer, to feel less worried, to feel less anxious, to feel less encumbered, more wholehearted, more alive? 
Please tell me, please, please tell me. Whatever you say, it sounds like that, right? Whatever you say, I'm going to do. And then you can almost hear Jesus saying, "Uh uh-oh. Uh-oh. And then the dreaded lines, one thing you lack, you need to go sell everything. You need to go sell everything and give it to the poor. And then you'll be free. And then you can come and follow me. It's like the young man says, oh no, anything but that. And he walks away, sad. Christians have wrestled quite a bit with these words from the very beginning. Did he really mean it? Is there a softer, easier way? There's got to be a way to get closer to God without such drastic, life-changing decisions. I don't know if that's true or not true. Each one of us will need to consider that for ourselves. But whatever conclusions we might come to about our comfort, here's what seems unavoidable to me in this extremely provocative teaching story. All of us, all of us will have to look carefully at our attachments. I sound a little bit like a Buddhist now. And all of us, all of us will have to look at how our attachments have affected, limited, restricted our identity. How our attachments might have gotten in the way of our internal sense of peace. Because attachments have a way of becoming problematic. And Jesus right here is saying in some cases we need to let go of them. Examine them and let go of them. Because they don't last. They don't hold at the center. What does that mean? It probably means a thousand things, but here's what comes up for me. What does it mean that we need to examine our attachments? It's something like this. Life is, in fact, precarious. Attachments, they, they come and they go. But all of our attachments will be taken away from us. Loved ones, jobs, careers, 
old identities, able bodies. You guys in touch with how able bodies are taken away from us? Loss, loss, loss is at the very heart of life. And we have limited control over this central truth. Sometimes it's forced on us. I, I, I think about Brother Tim talking last week about the loss of his beloved wife, Maureen. I think about Michael and Dee Dee and the loss of their beloved daughter, Samantha. Sometimes it's forced on us. And sometimes it's not forced on us, but it's this malaise that creeps up. The opportunity to reimagine and we ask, well, where's God in that? God, where are you now? God, how would I surrender? That's a big word, surrender. We think of it kind of as a negative word, but surrender is actually a spiritual necessity. How will we surrender? I think about the identity I've carried most of my own life. I probably talked about it more than you all want to hear about it. But this is a place where I can talk about it because it's a thing I get to keep working on. And the identity that I have carried so much of my life goes like this. I am a profoundly flawed human being. And I have to keep proving that I'm good. And that identity has kind of followed me around like a wet blanket. I can't say I completely regret it. Because that has actually probably propelled me to do a lot of the things I've done in my life that are good. But I'm so ready to surrender it. I'm so ready. I'm so ready to let it go. I'm so ready to grieve it. I'm so ready to, to, to have God do a new thing in my life, which probably includes me being flawed. But, but it's also right beside it, this message, which is for me and for everybody else, that you are unbelievably gifted no matter what stage you are in your life, no matter how many losses you have incurred. that all of us all the time are worthy of God's promise of grace. 
I'm also thinking again this morning about my new friend, Allie Truitt, who lost her lower leg in a shark attack. Everything changed in her life in a split second. The life that she knew and the life that she imagined for herself disappeared. Just completely disappeared in about 30 seconds. So what's Allie doing? Allie, I'm going to tell you, Allie is grieving. Because grief is always such an important part of of letting go. There's probably no letting go without grieving. There's probably no going forward without grieving. But while she's grieving, this is what I love about Allie. She's talking to God every day. Allie's in a constant conversation with God. Reimagining her life, reimagining the next chapter of her life. Planning for what the next chapter of her life is going to look like. Yesterday, she sent me this video of her in physical therapy, regaining her strength from the inside out. In the video, she was holding a plank. Man, I loved it. I thought it was absolutely beautiful. Two arms and one leg. And she was holding a plank. Because she's whole just the way she is. Just like you, Eric, you're whole just the way you are. Reaching forward with God right at her side. So here we are. Just another day in this wild and uncertain life that God has given us. It's precarious for sure. It's also amazing. We've got all our attachments. They're real. They shape us. We've got our losses. They're real. They shape us. But I wonder what if God was treated beginning today as our constant companion. And what if today was the day for each one of us to examine the attachments or the identities that hold us back, that get in the way of our joy, that no longer serve us, Because I know this, without God, something's always missing. I have come to believe that more than I believe anything else. Without God, something is always missing. 
and with God, a new thing is always possible. So don't miss the tennis balls. We all have one in our hand. Thanks be to God. is enjoying the passage of time. Any fool can do it. There ain't nothing to it. Nobody knows how we got to the top of the hill. Since we're only here for a while, might as well enjoy the ride. The secret of love is in opening up your heart. It's okay to feel afraid. Don't let that stand in your way. Anyone knows that love is the only road. But since we're only here for a while, might as well show some style. Give us a smile, isn't it a lovely ride? I'll be sliding down gliding down try not to try too hard just a lovely ride now the thing about time time isn't really real just your point of view how does that feel to you Einstein said he could never understand it all. Planets spinning through space, a smile upon your face. Welcome to the human race, some kind of lovely ride. I'll be sliding down. I'll be gliding down, try not to try too hard, just a lovely ride. Isn't it a lovely ride? 
I'll be sliding down, I'll be gliding down. Try not to try too hard, just a lovely ride. Secret of life is enduring the passage of time. The secret of life 